We read God's Word this evening in the book of Psalms, number 77. Psalm 77. Entitled, A Psalm of Asaph. And we read the whole psalm. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? And I said, This is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary who is so great a God as our God. Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw thee, O God. The waters saw thee. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Thou leddest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Thus far the reading of God's holy and inspired word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord abideth forever. The text that we consider this evening is verses 19 and 20 of Psalm 77. Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Thou lettest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 77 is a psalm of lament, a psalm of complaint, in which God's servant Asaph pours out his soul unto God. And just the language itself that we read a few moments ago testifies to how great was Asaph's agony and struggle and confusion and fear. He was really struggling. 
And in Psalm 77, by faith, Asaph, in the midst of present circumstances that are tearing him apart, by faith, over the course of Psalm 77, Asaph finds refuge and solace and comfort in the wonders that God has wrought of old. As far as present circumstance and present feeling are concerned, there's nothing there for Asaph that would suggest good things. Asaph digs back and he digs deep, and by faith he finds consolation in the mercies that God wrought of old, which are a pledge and a guarantee of God's continued faithfulness and mercy in the present. Now we're not given the historical, the exact historical occasion when the Holy Spirit inspired this psalm to be written, but evidently it was a time of great trouble. And evidently as well, a time of great trouble, not just for Asaph personally, but for the whole body of Israel. He mentions in this psalm Jacob and Joseph in verse 15. And he talks about God's people in verse 20. And, and so that, that tells us, that suggests to us that it was a time of great national calamity in the history of God's people in the Old Testament. And Asaph mourns that he's troubled by that. That affects him personally, and he is disconsolate, refusing to be comforted. But God, by His Word and Spirit, leads him to confide in Him. Well, the application, the scope of application of a psalm like this is not only with respect to the church as a body, the church corporate, but the very personal character of this psalm gives license to apply these realities to the personal level as well. A psalm, therefore, that not only addresses the struggles that God's people as church experience, but that you experience in particular. The billows with which you are beset and the trouble of soul that you carry. Asaph's been there. Many a child of God has been there. And here in Psalm 77, we find great encouragement that's grounded in who our God is. Well, let's consider verses 19 and 20 of Psalm 77 under the theme, Thy way is in the sea. Thy way is in the sea. Noticing in the first place, no way. So we're going to talk about Israel at the Red Sea. And from Israel's perspective, the Red Sea, no way. It's not, there's no way. In the second place, God's way, that that no way that Israel saw was actually God's way to do mighty and wonderful things. And noticing in the final place, holy way, holy way, and they're addressing verse 13, thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary, alternate translation, thy way, O God, is in holiness, thy way, O God, is holy. Thy way is in the sea, in the first place, no way. In the second place, God's way. And in the third place, holy way. Well, first, the psalmist's complaint here, the setting that, that we're given in Holy Scripture. Again, we're not told exactly the psalmist's circumstances, difficult period in the history of God's church. Perhaps the kingdom was dividing, the enemies were encroaching. Asaph, as it were, saw everything spiraling downward. And from a human perspective, it seemed like everything was coming to an end with the people of God in the Old Testament. And it affected Asaph personally as a member of God's covenant. Afflictions upon the church affect the members of that church uh, who are members of that body. 
Consider his complaint here. And just notice as we revisit the first part of Psalm 77, how Scripture puts the words in your mouth to express how you feel. He says in verse 2, in the day of my trouble. He says in verse 2 at the end, my soul refused to be comforted. He says in verse 4, thou holdest mine eyes waking, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. He, 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 she struggled even to talk to other people. He struggled even to pray. What do you pray? He, he's a mess. In verse 3, listen to this, he remembers God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. When he thought of God, he was troubled. He groaned inside. He, he was brought down. And, and that was not being unspiritual on the part of Asaph. We would miss the point if we were to say to Asaph, Asaph, how could you? You remembered God. God is no reason to be down. Asaph, how is it that when you remember God, you are troubled? No. No, that's a window into Asaph's soul there and the trouble and grief and anguish within. It was precisely this point right here that gave him trouble. God. Where is he? Why doesn't he do something? Why is he letting this all happen? The kingdom spiraling out of control or whatever other circumstance it was. Where is God? Has he forgotten to be gracious? Is his mercy clean, gone forever? Shall his promise fail forevermore? Those questions that he asks in verses 7 and following. Those are vexing, vexing questions that sprang from his aching and troubled heart. When the child of God asks questions like these, when the believer sends these questions up to God, you know it's bad for that child. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will He be favorable no more? Is His mercy clean, gone forever? Doth His promise fail forevermore? Has God finally done this to Israel? You're done. You've gone too far. I'm done with you. Verse 9, Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has, hath He in anger shut up His tender mercies? Is it all over with us? Have God's thoughts and purposes and attitudes towards us, have they changed by reason of our unworthiness and our iniquity? Does God even care? Does God care? Here, here's the church in distress. Here's Asaph, troubled soul. Does God even care? You know, we sing that. We just sang it earlier, Psalm, Psalm number 210, these doubts and fears that troubled me. And what Psalm 77 teaches us is that you are not the first person to have had those doubts and those troubles. There have been men and women and children of old who've walked that path, who have been in that valley. There's a lot of footsteps there if you look on the left and on the right. Asaph's been there. Many have been there. These thoughts, these doubts and fears that troubled me. And what, what explains, what gives rise to those doubts and to those fears? Especially this we want to focus on this evening. What gives rise to these doubts and fears? When present circumstances that we experience 
present difficulty and affliction seem irreconcilable to the truth of who God is and what He has promised to be to us. And we struggle to reconcile it. We struggle to make sense of it. We've been taught these things of God, who He is. Well, then what explains this that I am dealing with, that I am going through, that I am experiencing? Doubts and fears when we struggle with God's way. The way of His providential leading and guiding and directing. And in that valley, in that crucible, in that trial, it's a whole range of emotion and feeling that the Scriptures describe. Everything from being scared to being confused to being angry with God. Frustrated. When you cry out in your heart, God, where are You? Do You care? Do You even see me? Do You know what I'm going through? Well, He does. Asaph in Psalm 77 here, he says, I will remember the works of the Lord, verse 11 and following. I will remember the works of the Lord. What what happens here is at first when Asaph remembers God, he's troubled. And he's troubled that he's troubled too. And what Asaph does later on in the psalm is he resolves to remember the works of the Lord that he did of old. So with his human eye and according to human feeling and sense, he wasn't seeing a whole lot of grace and mercy in his life. But what he does is he remembers the works of old. Surely I will remember the wonders of old. And that resolve springs from faith. Faith that God wrought in Asaph's soul. Faith that would not give up. That would not let go of God. But that would knock on God's door until the door was was dented and bruised, and that would appeal and plead God's own promises and God's own works to God in support of faith. So he's appealing to these works of old for encouragement in the present. As it were, he's saying, God's people have been here before. Others have gone through this. God got them through. God led His people out of Egypt. He brought them through the wilderness. He brought them into Canaan. And God will be merciful to us too. He will do it again. And especially that deliverance out of Egypt and that leading uh, out of Egypt is on the foreground in these works. He says, verse 14, Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared Thy strength among the people. Thou hast with Thine arm redeemed Thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Reference to Egypt there. God redeemed them out of Egypt. What follows in 16 and following, you have the deliverance at the Red Sea. And then in verse 20, Thou ledest thy people like a flock all through that waste-howling wilderness until at last thou didst bring them into the land of Canaan, the promised rest. It's the Red Sea in particular that he focuses on. That's verses 16 through 19. Thy way is in the sea. He's talking about the Red Sea. And thy path in the great waters and thy footsteps are not known. And why do you think he plucks out the Red Sea of all the great wonders that God wrought. Why does he zero in on the Red Sea? Because the circumstances of God's church at the time were a Red Sea moment. It was like, here we are again. uh, Threatened on every side with destruction. Seemingly no way out. We don't know where to go and we don't know what to do. Israel felt the same way at the Red Sea, and he, and he, he, he zeroes in, therefore, on, on the Red Sea. 
Well, that history is recorded for us in Exodus chapter 14. And we're familiar with that history. How did it start? God tells Moses, Moses, turn south. Change direction. Go south. And I want you to camp with the congregation right by the Red Sea. And what God further told Moses is that God was going to harden Pharaoh's heart and that God was going to get him honor over Pharaoh in the destruction of Pharaoh. Now Israel probably wasn't aware of all of the details there, but notice that God led, directed Israel that way. God said, turn south, change path, change course, and here they go. They, are, they, they were at first heading eastward, the way you would have expected out of Egypt. Just go east, a little bit north, and you're going to end up in the land of Canaan. And then Moses calls out to the congregation, we need to change direction. And we need to go south. And at that point, Israel must have been thinking, well, this is unusual. We weren't expecting this. Wait a second, this doesn't seem like the right way. Certainly was not the way they would have chosen if they were in charge. And so they march. They, they listen to Moses and they march south. And as they march south, uh, as they're going, that you look on the, right, on the right side and you see mountains beginning to rise up. Looking forward, you see more mountains beginning to rise up. And on your left side, there is the Red Sea. Very peculiar from a human perspective why they were being led in this way. But what happens next? Here they are marching down and they've been camped. And the next thing that you know, they look back on the horizon and they begin to see a cloud of dust getting larger and larger. And as whatever's making that cloud gets closer and closer, they start to see sunlight reflecting off of steel, off of swords, off of the armor on the war horses, off of the chariots. Next thing you know, there's a panic that just begins to permeate the whole congregation. People are agitated. Next thing you know, someone screams out and people begin screaming with her and they shout out, it's the Egyptians. We're done for. We're doomed. And what to do? Can't go right. Can't go forward. Can't go back. And on the left, it's a great big sea that's impassable from a human perspective. From a human perspective, there is no way out. And it's God Himself who led them to a no way out position. It is God Himself who led them right in front of a big sign that said, no exit. He led them into the impossible. And think about Israel now, what they must have been, fe- what they must have been feeling. And they, they did let Moses know and in sin too, and that was sin against God Himself. You've brought us out here to kill us. What are you doing? Why, why have you done this with us? Well, Moses tells Israel to fear not. God will fight for us. God is going to do a wonder. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. God tells Moses, Moses, tell them to go forward. And Moses must have been thinking, forward, there's a big sea here. Now before we consider that deliverance, God's way through that sea, recall now the, the, the similarity of circumstances between Asaph, the congregation then, and the people of Israel at the Red Sea. They were scared. They were confused. 
They couldn't make sense of it. It seemed all backwards and upside down and wrong. They don't know how to go forward. They don't know what to do. It was a Red Sea moment. It was a Red Sea revisited. And those Red Sea moments continue to be revisited in the history of the church as well. Whether it's the church as a body or the believer in particular, when you feel like you're standing in front of the Red Sea and you, and you want to just crumble to the ground because you can't. And you fear and you wonder, there's no way I can make it through. It's too hard. It's too impossible. And there are many a thing in this life amongst the evils of this present age, the adversities, that result in a Red Sea moment like that. When you catalog the sufferings that God's children experience, if you were to list it all out, you'd run out of paper. It's too long. And the evils are too great. You think about the child of God, say, who is diagnosed with cancer. And the doctor says it's malignant. You have half a year to live. And this man or this woman's married with children. Think about the car accident. And when the, the mother or father gets the phone call and, and the police officer says or the loved one says, your, your son was involved in the accident and he died. Think about the loss of a loved one unexpectedly. Think about the, the devastation that can happen at times in relationships between people, between loved ones, like a great big wrecking ball. In the day of my trouble, he says in verse 2, and what is your trouble? There's not a trouble in this life that God's children experience, that God's Word does not have an answer for. And here is the universal answer here. God's way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Thy way is in the sea. God moves in mysterious ways His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and He rides upon the storm. That's the idea here with this expression. It pleased God to lead Israel through that way. The way of the Red Sea. The impossible, humanly impossible way to the glory of His name. And God was faithful. The Bible records that history Exciting history. History that makes your heart thump as you read it. Just so wonderful and so glorious. Here's Israel panicking, scared, confused. Moses, that great typical mediator. Fear not. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. And what God does with the cloud, He goes behind the camp. He, he shuts off the Egyptians. And while that cloud is holding back the Egyptians, God tells Moses to stretch his hands, stretch the rod over the waters. And the next thing you know, God sends a great east wind. And in a, in a great miracle, God, He splits the Red Sea. He carves a path right through the waters. The, the walls on each side begin to heap. The ground becomes drier and drier until at last it is dry ground. That's the way. It was something to take your breath away if you had been there. He split the Red Sea and He carved a way right through the waters. It was God's way. 
And Psalm 77 so graphically describes that too. Verse 16, The waters saw thee, O God, the waters saw thee. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. And what you have there is God shaking heaven and earth to get his people through. God not sparing any expense to get his people through and to lead them to the land that he promised them. And he got them through with God at the helm walking in that way. Now let's think about this way now. Let's think about this way that was God's way. His way is in the sea. It was not the way that Israel would have chosen. Probably if you had talked to an Israelite, the Israelite said, well, what's the way we should go? Fast track to Canaan. Just skim along uh, underneath the Mediterranean Sea and you'll be there in no time, the land of Canaan. That wasn't God's way. God said, no. Red Sea way and the wilderness on the other side, that's the way. Another thing to bring out is that this way, thy way is in the sea, this is a way that brought out Israel's helplessness in herself. It was a way that brought out of Israel's soul, we can't, to the demonstration of the power of God's grace. In the third place, this was a way that was contrary to human reason and expectation. From a human perspective, you'd say, this is poor leadership. You've brought us right into the gambit. We're surrounded on every side, and the Egyptians are coming. And it was a way that appeared impossible. But you see, God wanted to do His way in Israel's no way. God brought them to the impossible in order to do the impossible for the praise of the riches of His grace. His way was in the sea. And, and God, if we may put it this way, God likes to work that way. God likes to do the impossible. God likes to do what defies human reason and defies human expectation to the glory of His name. And we see that above all ultimately demonstrated and, and exemplified for us at the cross of Jesus Christ. Psalm 77, verse, eight, verse 19, Thy way is in the sea. And, and we might say now, Thy way, O God, is in the cross. And who hath believed our report? Isaiah says. Isaiah, uh, Psalm 77 talks about God redeeming His people. Verse 15, Thou hast with Thine arm redeemed Thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. And in Isaiah 52 God says that He will redeem His people. It talks about God making bare His holy arm. God rolling up His sleeves for the redemption of Israel. And what way was that going to be in? How was God going to do that? Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And now just consider how all of these principles culminate at the cross of Jesus Christ. No way. No way when it comes to salvation by human effort. 
No way when it comes to any possibility of us saving ourselves from our sin. From that angle, every side is shut up closed. There's no way. No way out. When it comes to something man can do to save himself. No coincidence that God wanted to bring that out. Because salvation is of the Lord. And He was going to make sure that everyone knew it. Consider the way in which God accomplished our redemption. What do you see with a human eye at the cross of Jesus Christ? If you were only to look upon that event with the natural eye, what do you see? Do you see in the coming of the Messiah great glory and magnificence? The Messiah coming in with the greatest horse uh, the land could offer, uh, sparkling white, shining with armor, a huge sword strapped to his side with a great big crown of gold on his head. Is that the way in which the Messiah came? What was the way? The way was, who has believed our report? He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Rather than there be anything in him to attract from a human perspective, he repulsed. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. We esteemed him not. We said about him, surely he's smitten, stricken of God. He's got to be one of the greatest sinners that ever lived to suffer and die like that underneath that black curse that is on him. That was God's way. A Messiah born in weakness and humility. A Messiah who suffered all his life long. God incarnate, crucified in weakness. The man, Christ Jesus, the Word made flesh, bleeding on the cross with his arms and his feet and his feet nailed to the wood. From a human perspective, utterly helpless and overcome. From the divine perspective, God's way is in the sea. God doing salvation. God redeeming us from our sins because we couldn't. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, who hath believed our report? For God made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That was God's way. God's way was He did the humanly impossible. God's way at the cross was He did that which defied human reason and turned the wisdom of this world all upside down. Behold the arm of the Lord. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. Foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. God's ways. There is no searching them out. Romans, in the book of Romans chapter 11, who can fathom it? Says the Apostle. Who can fathom these ways? Now before we consider that in application to the matter at hand, one more thing in the text that we need to uh, consider, and that is, thy footsteps are not known, verse 19. Thy footsteps are not known. What does that mean? Well, historically, once Israel passed through the Red Sea, 
The waters closed up over the Egyptians. God destroyed Pharaoh and his hosts, and there was no trace. Uh, without a trace, uh, in the wake of God leading his people through the Red Sea. The footsteps disappeared from sight. A couple weeks later, if you had gone to the Red Sea, you never would have known what happened there at that body of water. Thy footsteps are not known. But now we want to broaden out that principle there. Broaden out the application of that principle. And this is the, this is the point. Oftentimes there is a certain hiddenness when it comes to the ways of the Lord. A certain hiddenness when it comes to the works of the Lord as, res- as respects human perception, human feeling, human senses. And again, Isaiah 53 makes that very clear. Who hath believed our report? Who has believed that this man hanging on the cross is the Son of God who is dying for the salvation of His people? There was a certain hiddenness there at that event. And so in the case of many of God's works and many of God's ways. What that means is that when we do not feel a certain way, we're talking now human feelings. Feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. When it comes to human feelings and human perception and human sensibilities, that's not the, that's not the whole story there. And, and we, we make ourselves miserable if we do our theology based on how we feel. Or if we judge God based on, the sen- on human sense that we experience. There are times when God feels so absent and so out of the picture. You wonder if, if He even has His eyes open. And it feels that way. But the wisdom of God... In those very moments, He's so near. Sure, human reason, human sense doesn't register it, but God is so very near. And this is profitable for our consideration because when we are in trial, when we are in the, the hard way, when we're in the crucible, and our faith is being put to the test, we would like some dramatic, glorious revelation of the glory and the greatness of God. We would like God to do things just like He did at the Red Sea and shake heaven and earth and, and thunder and, and uh, lightning and all the rest and make Himself visible in that way to us. Oh, if only I could uh, find Him and see Him with my eyes. We'd like something extraordinary. What does God say in 2 Corinthians 12? He says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. He likes to work in weakness. And the Apostle Paul says in the same chapter, when I am weak, then am I strong. And that defies the wisdom of this world. God's strength in our weakness. Who can fathom that? This idea, for example, that when the believer is crying out to God and on his knees and he's never felt his weakness so much that in that moment God is so strong in the believer's life and that the strength of God is very present. Thy footsteps are not known. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, the same hymn says. 
God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and he rides upon the storm. Another stanza, judge not the Lord by feeble sense. Don't make your conclusions based on how you feel. Make make your conclusions and judge the Lord according to his word and what God has said. Because God's word abides forever. Now again, Asaph recalls these things as support and encouragement to Asaph in the present. The wonders of old that he recalls, this is fuel for faith. This is ground for confidence. This is strength for hope. That's the idea. Same people of God and these wonders of old are a pledge of God's mercy in the present. His faithfulness of old, a pledge of God's faithfulness now and to come. Israel's been there before. They were at the Red Sea. God led them through. God will lead us through too. In one way or another, we can't figure it all out. God will lead us through. He will sustain us. And He did. Verse 20, Thou ledest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. But now understand that this God is your God. You who trust in Him, who believe in Him, who confide in Him, The same Lord, the same mercy, the same faithfulness through Jesus Christ the Lord. Thou ledest thy people like a flock, he still leads us like a flock. Israel saw ahead of them Moses and Aaron. And those men, they must have inspired a certain amount of courage in Israel. Moses is here. Moses is here. Moses is leading the way. Sure, Israel time and again uh, despised Moses and, and, and sinned against Moses terribly by word. But you know what? M- Moses was there. And that was a certain consolation to them. Well, Moses and Aaron, they were typical. They were pictures of a far greater mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into this world in fulfillment of the promise, who suffered and died and rose again and descended into heaven. And Jesus lives at God's right hand and He is our mediator. God leads us like a flock by the hand of Jesus through His Word and by His Spirit. And this Jesus, He's a strong mediator. He's faithful. He loves us. He's merciful. We have not an high priest which is not unable, uh, which is unable to be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He calls us his friends. He calls us his brothers. He calls us his sisters. And he is bringing many sons and daughters to glory. All through the sufferings of this present age, many sons and daughters to glory. And will you be the first child of God to have trusted in Jesus Christ that's going to be disappointed? Will will you be the first one in the history of the world who confides in this same Lord and is put to shame? Not at all. None of them that trust in Him shall be desolate. Thus saith the Lord. Psalm 34. Whosoever believeth in Him shall not be ashamed. Romans chapter chapter 10. Rely upon that Word and that promise. Plead that promise. Stake everything on that promise. It's the Word of God through Jesus Christ. And them that trust in Him shall not be let down. 
All of those wonders of old, the pledge of God's mercy in the present, the greatest pledge that God has given us is the death of His only begotten Son. Romans 8, verse 32. If He spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not freely with Him give us all things? It's the argument from the greater to the lesser. If God so loved us that He gave Him to that, how, how shall He not give us everything? How shall He now... Uh, drop the ball and lose his grip on the reins. He shall preserve us and he shall lead us through. That's who God is. He always does it. He's faithful. He's strong. He's merciful. No way, God's way, holy way. Verse 13, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary who is so great a God as our God who is so great a God is our God. And again, the translation, another way to translate that, thy way, O God, is in holiness. Thy way is holy. And that's the translation that we're going to go with. What does it mean that God's way is holy? What does holy mean? Well, again, we're talking about God's way, how He leads and guides and directs by His hand. That God's way is holy does not only mean that God is sinless in all of His works and ways. That's true. God cannot be gainsaid in all of His works and in all of His ways for any fault on His part. The Belgic Confession 13 says, He orders and executes His work in the most excellent and just manner, even then when devils and wicked men act unjustly. And that's a word of comfort to them whose difficulty and whose trial and, and, and affliction is directly caused by human sin. And how often is that not the case? It's because of man's sin so many times that God's children suffer and cry out and groan. And what that teaches us there, while nothing is outside of God's appointment, and while God is sovereign over all things, including the sins of men, God is holy and just, and it's man's sin, and God hates it, and God is a just judge, and He's coming to judge in His Son Jesus Christ, the living and the dead, and it's going to be the great day of righteousness, and God will not let one sin go unnoticed and unescaped on the part of the wicked, but He shall judge for the consolation of God's elect. Thy way is set apart. Holy. God is... God is Set apart, He is above us. We are creature, we are human. God is creator, God is divine. And God, as the divine, as the Holy One, His works and His ways are above us. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and His ways are higher than our ways. We're not always going to understand God's ways and have all the details figured out and be able to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. But God knows because God is God and His way is holy. And the great end toward, uh, that, that God set from all eternity in His counsel is the glory of His name. And God glorifies Himself in God's way. God brings glory to His name. He glorifies Himself through Jesus Christ in the salvation and deliverance and preservation of His people. You see that at the Red Sea, 
Why ultimately did God say that way, Moses? Send them to the sea. Why? He says, I will get me honor upon Pharaoh. I will glorify my name in the destruction of my enemies. That negatively, positively, in the deliverance and salvation of his people. And what's Israel singing on the other side? The song of Moses, Miriam clapping her hands and, 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 and everyone joining in and saying, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, glorious in holiness? We have seen it with our own eyes. Thou art a great God, and blessed be thy name. That's ultimately God's purpose at the cross. God glorifying Himself in the midst of that shame and suffering and humiliation and weakness and sin and death. That is ultimately God's aim and God's purpose and God's end in the way in which He leads us. Be it a a Red Sea. Be it a way that makes you say, it's impossible. I can't do it. There's no way I can get through it. It's the hardest thing, God, that I've ever experienced in my life. The Lord reigns. The Lord is with you. Like a good shepherd, He leads you like a flock. And He will glorify Himself. And that glory of God's name, remember this, this is crucial, God has wrapped up our good all together with His glory. So when we say God's purpose is to glorify His name, guess who's right at the middle of that? Jesus Christ and us in Jesus Christ. It all revolves around us. The glorification of God's name is our glorification and our good and our well-being. And He demonstrates His glory. He makes His strength perfect in weakness so that all we can say at the end of the day is, God, You did it. You got me through. And at the end, when Jesus comes and we are all together again in body and soul, it'll be the praise of God's name. We'll take the crowns and we'll cast them at the feet of Jesus. We're going to say, you did it. That's the only explanation. is you and your power and your grace and your might and your mercy and your faithfulness. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And we'll sing the song of Moses ourselves as we read in Revelation. Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, we give thee thanks for thy word and that thou dost address us according to our afflictions as well. That thou art mindful of our frame and knowest that we are dust. We give Thee thanks that Thou in Thy mercy dost receive us in our prayers, even when those prayers are so confused, and even in our laments that Thou dost not give us a deaf ear, but a willing ear, and for Thy mercy towards us in Jesus Christ. Forgive our sins, guide us safely in Thy ways, preserve us from all evil, and hasten the day of Thy Son's return. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.